0: James wants you to know, and he wants me to know, if we cannot control our speech, if we cannot bridle our tongue, the rest of our religion, the rest of our devotion, the rest of our service, it is actually worthless, of no worth in the sight of God.
1: Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Jonathan, I can just imagine someone hearing what they just heard and saying, wait a minute, I I thought my actions were really what i might be defined by even more than my words so help us kind of understand or unpack a little bit what you just said
0: james just brings so much challenge to us so you know we we might tend to think that as long as i've made a declaration of faith at some point then my my behavior doesn't matter at all and james says no your behavior matters because it will give evidence of your faith and and we might we might get to the point where we say okay my behavior matters but you know, my words are in a different category. They, our words don't matter. I mean, James, those don't matter so much. Come on. And James says, no, your, your words are a vital part of your behavior, and your words will give evidence of the state of your heart and whether you have saving faith. And so he makes this radical statement that we're going to examine and consider together. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And we read that, we think, James, are you serious? This is a whole lot harder than I thought, and, uh, and it certainly is a challenge, and we need to think about it together.
1: So let's do that. Grab your Bible. Join us in the book of James, chapter 1, verses 22 to 27 is where we're hanging out today. We're continuing a message called Pure Religion. Here is Jonathan.
0: Having issued this warning against self-deception, James then drives the message home in very practical terms by giving us a profile of worthless religion. He'll then follow on with a profile of religion that's pure in God's sight. But first, the profile of worthless religion, and it's here in verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Here we are back again to this idea of self-deception. We saw it in verse 22, it's possible to deceive ourselves with respect to our religion, thinking that we're genuine and sincere when in fact we are not, thinking that we're just fine with God, everything's good, when nothing could be further from the truth. And so here it comes up again. We might think we're religious people. We listen to the Word. We attend church. We participate on some level. We pay attention to the preaching. We stay awake for the entire sermon. (laughs) We're involved in Bible study. We have our personal devotional time. We think we're hearing the word. We think of ourselves as religious in the best sense of the word. But James says your hearing of the word of God is of no worth because it is not leading to action. And here is a core example of an action that we fail to do. We might fail to bridle our tongue and we think, oh, James, that, why did you have to choose that one? It's so uncomfortable to think about that so challenging. I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to go riding on horseback. We went on a very gentle trail ride as a family this summer. I think some of the kids were actually more experienced than me and could have handled a little bit more of a challenge, but I was pretty glad of something very, very gentle. I was quite thankful to be riding a horse that was thoroughly broken in. The horse did, of course, have a bit and a bridle, and it had been taught over many years to respond to those things, to take heed of the rider's prompts, the tugs on the reins. The horse I rode was pretty elderly, I think. It had been giving trail rides for kids for many years. Frankly, I was pretty sure I could have just let go of the reins entirely and had a little snooze on the back there and just let the horse take me around the the trail and back to the beginning again. It was fully trained, well subdued, thoroughly mature. But I know full well that horses don't start out life that way. They start out much wilder, much more unpredictable, and there's a process of training, of learning some restraint. You and I don't start out life with good control over what we say, over, over the comments we make, over the reactions that we express, the opinions we publish, the emotions we vent. <laughs> None of that comes naturally to us. If you're in doubt about that, spend some time around some little kids. <laughs> in our wider society, restraint and control in speech are not always valued, not always prized. But the Word of God is so clear, our words matter. Our speech matters. Our Lord calls us to self-control in the use of the tongue. And the Spirit of God living within the heart of the believer will prompt us and enable us to grow in this grace. It is a mark of the new birth. It is a key evidence of maturing Christian discipleship. And so James is very frank with us. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Now, just let that statement sink in. Consider what James is saying here, just process the weight of it. Here is the scenario that James has in mind. Imagine this hypothetical person. He says of himself, look, I'm a churchgoer. I'm here every Sunday morning listening to the word of God. I have a morning quiet time where I read the scriptures daily. I participate in a small group. I give money to the work of the gospel, a significant piece of my take-home pay. I pray. I'm involved in evangelism. I am quote-unquote religious in the very best sense. I've got this one weakness, though. I mean, it doesn't everyone, right? I've just, this, there's this one thing. I'm prone to saying some things that I, I probably shouldn't say. <laughs> okay, yeah, I'm a bit quick to criticize, to mock other people. I... <sighs> I'm a little bit quick to fly off the handle when i when when i'm aggravated i I can say some sharp and some unkind things people know that about me my language okay it's a little bit colorful you know not entirely polite not entirely civilized not always g-rated if you like but i mean you know that's just my personal achilles heel everyone has one i'm saved by grace let's not blow this thing out of proportion (laughs) I, i know lots of other christians have far worse flaws now what does james have to say to my hypothetical friend James says to my friend, quite frankly, your religion is worthless. That's the word he uses, worthless. And you are, to make it worse, self-deceived. That is the message of verse 26, and it's actually devastating. There was a story in the local news some weeks ago about a homeowner who had built a big, beautiful house quite impressive quality materials, nice stonework, rather imposing looking, had built this new house, but unfortunately had situated it slightly too close to the road. Something clearly went wrong with the permit or the lack of a permit, I don't know. And the city had taken the rather drastic step of issuing a demolition order for this new home. I don't know how things are in that story now, I'm sure it's progressed, but how devastating You imagine people save for years they invest they grow their money they get some plans drawn up they hire a contractor they live through the building process which can be such a hassle for months and months on end they see the dream taking shape before their eyes and then they discover all of it has been for nothing worthless needing to be torn down James wants you to know and he wants me to know if we cannot control our speech, if we cannot bridle our tongue, the rest of our religion, the rest of our devotion, the rest of our service, it is actually worthless, of no worth in the sight of God. It's a strong statement, but James makes it because he sees the terrible danger the danger of self-deception of the heart. He knows that there will be those who imagine that they belong to Jesus, that they're right with God because they have some elements of religion in their lives. They give some attention to the Word of God, but here's the thing, they haven't experienced the new birth, haven't turned to Christ in repentance and in faith. And frankly, it, it shows, here's the evidence of it, here's the warning sign It shows in their speech unbridled unchanged by the Spirit of God ungodly frankly and in that sense these these folk are totally self deceived I think that's that's the person that James has in view here primarily and friend I have no idea it may be that I have just described you you would think of yourself as a Christian You come to church and you participate on some levels. But as you consider your speech, your control over your tongue, what you're seeing is actually you have not been made new by the Spirit of God. You haven't come to Jesus for new life. And if that's the case, friend, the thing you need to do is you need to come to Jesus for new life. You need to start with repentance and with faith, a true turning to him. And if you will do that, he will make you new and he will begin to transform you. Now, I should say as well, I think this is right. There will be others who will be feeling something of a rebuke from verse 26, as many of us will. Perhaps your control of your speech is not what it ought to be. But but perhaps you are convinced that you are truly saved and yet you are living a stunted Christian life. Maybe that's what you're seeing here. Perhaps it's right to think in this case of a person who will be spared hell but might end up looking back on their Christian life as a series of squandered opportunities, opportunities to grow, to serve, to glorify the Lord. You may remember that the Apostle Paul speaks elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 15 of those who are saved but only as through fire. It's a fruitless religion and I fear it's an all too common religion religion and maybe for you the rebuke of verse 26 is a bit of a wake-up call a timely wake-up call your words your speech are giving precious little evidence of your spiritual life you are saved but what you're seeing here is that things cannot go on like this and maybe today you need to go and you need to spend some time with the lord and you need to address this you need to repent of some things you need to cry out to him for the mercy and the grace which he is only too ready to give You need to resolve with the help of the Holy Spirit to live a Christian life that is fruitful, that is being transformed, not least in the matter of speech, a life that's pleasing to him. Now, that is the very sobering profile of a worthless religion. But now James turns to set out a profile for us of pure religion.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth of Jonathan Griffiths. Our message is called Pure Religion. It's part of our series called Doers of the Word, and we're taking a look at the book of James, chapter 1 today. Now, while we're pausing right here, I hope you'll stay tuned because we'll get back to the message in just a moment. You know, the Apostle Paul had instructions and a personal model for faithful ministry. It's really the standard for every generation. And he wrote about this in the book of 2 Timothy. You know, what he wrote to Timothy about is something that everyone who's in spiritual leadership or really any leadership for that matter could apply to our lives today. And Jonathan has written about this in a book called the ministry medical. It's a health checkup from second Timothy. And we'd love to send you a copy of this book as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. You see encounter the truth truly is listener supported. So whether you listen online on the radio or through our app, it is your generosity that makes it all possible. And as you give a gift of any amount, we want to send you a copy of Jonathan's book, The Ministry Medical. You can give online when you come to EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884. Or again, the website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you did join us a little bit late, we're in the book of James, chapter 1, really focusing in on verses 22 to 27 today. So grab your Bible and meet us there as we get back to the message. Again, here is Jonathan.
0: Now that is the very sobering profile of a worthless religion, but now James turns to set out a profile for us of pure religion. Religion that is pure in the sight of God, and here it is, verse 27. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained, from the world. We are seeing and recognizing all the time, aren't we, how practical a teacher James is. He doesn't speak in sort of abstract theory all that often. Most of the time he speaks in very, very concrete terms. And when it comes to diagnosing our health in the Christian life, he wants to give us something very tangible to consider. The care of orphans and the care of widows is not the only thing that matters, of course, in the Christian life. It's not the only matter of significance in our behavior and our action, but it's important. James is not content just to speak to us in general terms, you know, saying that God is just concerned for us to be kindly and to look out for those in need. If he put it like that, we would probably all hand on heart claim that we do that in some measure. We're kindly. We look out for those in need. No, he wants to make the point specific, so it is inescapable. I was... Recently, looking at my life insurance cover and updating that a little bit, and it's very interesting, it's slightly tiresome, but but interesting as well, uh, to work through that process with the insurance company. It's been interesting to discover that as I'm working through that process, the insurance company is taking a rather touching interest in my health and well-being at the present time. Uh, The questions that they ask about one's health become very, very concrete when they're looking at changing your insurance cover. It's not, you know, are you generally well? Would you count yourself a healthy person? No, it is, you know, what what do you weigh? Have you had symptoms or investigations related to any of these 25 diseases and disorders in the last five years? Are you a smoker? remember when I first applied for life insurance some years ago in the UK, the insurance companies didn't ask, do you smoke or are you a smoker? They actually asked, I was intrigued by this, have you ever smoked? Which meant, from what I could tell, that an applicant who had smoked a single cigarette would have had to answer yes to that question and then pay an increased monthly premium for that one cigarette for the next 45 years or whatever. Expensive cigarette. Huh? In any event, the insurance companies are very specific in the ways in which they evaluate your health. And so is James when it comes to evaluating our spiritual health. On the negative side, it wasn't, you remember, are there potential signs of any kind of ungodliness in your life, anything to be concerned about? No, it was, do you bridle your tongue? Oof. And now on the positive side, it's not, are you kindly toward the needy? No, it's, do you look after widows and orphans in their affliction? And we we wince just a little, maybe, because we love the general questions, don't we? Especially among Christians. We love the, you know, how are you doing? Great, thanks. Wonderful. See you next week. (laughs) We don't like the, you know, how are your quiet times going at the moment? (laughs) How are you doing in that particular area of temptation that you shared about? We find the particular questions uncomfortable and the general far more agreeable. But James is unafraid and unapologetic about getting specific and particular. And his choice here of what to focus upon is very interesting. You see, James has highlighted an issue and a concern that is dear to the heart of God. And an issue and a concern that reflects God's own character and his own priorities. Throughout the scriptures, The Lord expresses a particular concern for the orphan and the widow, and he calls his people again and again, Old Testament and new, to care for such as these. In Psalm 68, in verse 5, we are told that our God is the father of the fatherless and the protector of widows. That's who God is. That's the kind of God that he is. That's his own character. And what we need to see here in James chapter 1 is that God's concern, God's work, and God's priority is actually to shape us into his own image, to form his character within our hearts. Just notice this with me here as we just trace it for a moment. If you would, just look back to verses 16 and 17, where James, you remember, told us that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights. It's a general statement. It applies to all good gifts that we enjoy in God's world. But in particular, in a special way, verse 18, it is true of the new birth that he gives to the believer. That's the, the most wonderful gift of all that he gives. It's the chief among all gifts. And the new birth, uh, the new life, it is all about forming the character of God's righteousness within us. That's why, verse 20, James is so concerned to point out that our anger does not produce the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is the righteousness that has its origin in God himself. It's his character which he purposes to produce in us. And so, religion that counts, religion that means something that is valuable in his sight, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled, before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world's. It's God's own concern, and so it should be ours. In the world of James's day, it's hard to think of two more vulnerable groups of people than orphans and widows. There was no social safety net to provide for the needs of either. In a world where men were the primary breadwinners, a widow could easily be left destitute very, very quickly. And what James is saying to the believers is this. You can go through all the religious motions that you want to go through. You can sing, and you can pray, and you can attend worship. You can listen to the word of God to your heart's content, but here is what delights the Father It is to have eyes open to those in the deepest need in your midst and to meet them in their distress. Show the heart of the Father to those who are in urgent need. The world may not actually care about them. The world may make noises about caring for them, but in practical terms, the world may not care about them at all. The world may do nothing for them, but you are to be unlike the world. You stand apart. And the church needs to be a place, it must be a place, where no one is left in their need, overlooked in their distress. Our attitude to the needy and our care for the needy is a huge issue for James, and I think it's still the core focus of what he's saying as we get to the end of the chapter, in the end of verse 27. You notice there he talks about keeping oneself unstained from the world. And again, there's a very wide application to that statement, no doubt. But I think that James's core focus is to keep unstained from the world's outlook toward the poor and the needy. The world will dismiss and despise those in need, but the believer will seek them out. The church will be a place where there is genuine concern and practical help, practical care. James, as you'll notice in chapter 2, we won't go there today, but James is going to go straight on to the theme of showing no partiality to the rich and, and, and being careful not to dishonor the poor in the next verses. And so his focus throughout this section is on this broader theme. Don't be stained by the world's attitude to wealth and poverty, the world's enamorment with, with the wealthy, the world's dismissive attitude to the needy. Be distinctive have the heart of the father and so here is the real deal the genuine believer here's the profile of the one who hears the word and does the word the one who has real spiritual life true religion here it is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world and you know it's just so challenging i mean let's be honest this is very very challenging It's so challenging to us, to a people who, yes, we prize the word, don't we? It's wonderful that we prize the word. But James forces us, he requires us to ask the hard question. Does your life, does my life give evidence of true religion, of living faith as James describes it? Not simply do we read our bibles and do we attend corporate worship important as those things are but do we attend to the practical needs of the most needy in our midst does our church do we corporately look like a people whose religion before god the father is pure and undefiled i trust it does in some measure i believe it does at least in part i've seen evidence of these things in our fellowship praise god But where are the needy in our midst who are being overlooked? Who are loved by the Father but need to be loved by us in some very practical ways. Who need to be met in their distress and helped. That's the question that James puts before me and he puts before you and it's not an easy one. And so we cry out to the Father that he might give us this kind of religion in increasing measure. That he might enable us we need his help in this, enable us to grow in grace so that his heart will be our heart, so that his priorities will be our priorities, so that we will never be content merely to hear the word and go out and forget it. But no, we will be doers of it also, even in the hardest places, even in the most practical and costly ways. May God help us in this.
1: This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths, wrapping up our message, Pure Religion, from the book of James, Chapter 1. It's part of a series called Doers of the Word. If you ever miss a broadcast or you want to go back and listen again, you can always come to our website and listen online. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. You can download an MP3 for free, or you can simply stream the program through your computer or mobile device. Again, that's at EncounterTheTruth.org. We're able to stay on this station because of your generosity to encounter the truth. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to send you a book that Jonathan's written. It's called The Ministry Medical. It's a health checkup from Second Timothy. So, Jonathan, what is is Second Timothy all about? Second Timothy is
0: a book written by the Apostle Paul and given to a younger ministry colleague by the name of Timothy. And within this book, within this letter, Paul is showing Timothy the nature of faithful gospel ministry and he is exhorting him to endure in faithfulness in the work that God has called him to do. And within this book, we just gain so much wisdom and so much insight into the nature of true and faithful gospel ministry. And and it is a treasure trove for pastors, for church elders, for anyone entrusted with any kind of Bible ministry. And, and that's that's so many Christian people, of course. And, and there are wonderful riches there for us.
1: Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, The Ministry Medical, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. To find out more, give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 1-833-998-7884 or EncounterTheTruth.org. For Jonathan Griffiths, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time.